Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Kim Berry, the editor of the magazine and the host of this podcast. Kim, how are you doing? I'm very well, Grant, and how are you? Yeah, not too bad, all things considered. And Kim, what are we talking about today? Uh, From what you were telling me, it sounds like it's going to be pretty interesting. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, Today, we're talking about food waste. We're going to to, uh, talk about how much there is, where it's coming from, and what we can do about it. So, four years ago, uh, in 2017, the federal government released the National Food Waste Strategy, and that set the national target to halve food waste by 2030. Since then, the roadmap for reducing Australia's food waste has been launched, and a lot of projects are underway. On Food and Drink Business, we write about this fairly regularly, and I must say one of the things that always impresses me is that it's incredibly driven by practical projects with actual results. There's not much hand-wavy, pie-in-the-sky, sweeping platitudes. It's actually about what can happen. So, we're going to uh, dig into that today. We're going to talk about the Fight Food Waste CRC and the recently launched Stop Food Waste Australia. We're looking at the work they're doing and most importantly, what your food and beverage business can do to play its part in meeting these waste reduction targets. We've got two guests with us today, both incredibly esteemed within their fields and um, with, I must say, (laughs) CVs that are quite intimidating. But as much as they have experience, they have passion and I'm really looking forward to the discussion with them both. We're joined by Dr. Steve Lappage. Steve, have I produced your surname correctly? Yep, that's great. Fabulous. (laughs) Uh, Steve is the inaugural CEO of Fight Food Waste Limited. Now, that incorporates the Fight Food Waste Cooperative Research Centre, also known as the Fight Food Waste CRC, and Stop Food Waste Australia. His 20-year career has really had a sustainability focus the whole way through, from reintroducing endangered species and managing pest animals to the work he's now doing in the food waste space. He's represented Australia at numerous international forums, including the G20, OECD and APEC, He's currently a member of the G20 Food Loss Waste Working Group, uh, the National Food Waste Strategy Steering Committee, and he's a former non-executive director of the Australian Institute of Food Science and Technology. He's a Fulbright Professional Business Industry Fellow, and uh, to round that out, he has a PhD and an MBA. (laughs) Welcome, Steve. (laughs) Hi, Kim. How are you? And we're also joined by Dr. Simon Lockery. Simon's a key leader in the Fight Food Waste CRC and he's currently serving in an interim role as the uh, Reduce Program Leader. But apart from that, he's a highly regarded sustainability and design innovation researcher who's, and he's been based at RMIT since 2009. His re- research domains cover everything from life cycle assessment co-design, design innovation, green marketing, resource efficiency, sustainability, uh, right through to tool development and food, uh, and food waste. His research has generated millions of dollars in industry-facing research, which has had global impact through policy change and commercial innovation, as well as covering off on academic publications and media coverage for the work that he's been doing. He's worked with companies like Chep and Vizi and Nestle, Costa, Grocon and Breville. 
His government and NGO work has been with Sustainability Victoria and environmental protection agencies around the country. He's worked extensively with Australian Fresh Produce Alliance, the Australian Food and Grocery Council and Meat and Livestock Australia and very interestingly, the Australian Antarctic Division. That might be another conversation, Simon. He's currently Vice President of the Automotive Historians Australia. Again, another conversation and is on the board of Glopair and the International Sustainable Development Research Society. Welcome, Simon. Thanks for having me, Kim. Good to be here. Simon and Steve, I tell you what, that, that's uh, you guys are you guys have got the goods. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure about that. So let's um, let's maybe start with uh, start with you, Steve. How did you end up here? Like, how did you end up heading up this this organisation and driving this change in in Australia? Yeah, look, it's a uh and an interesting question, Kim. Um, so I've got a background in animal and environmental science, uh, undergrad at Flinders Uni, and I um, pursued the animal science for 10 years. So PhD in returning captive bred animals to the wild. And then, uh, of course, the one thing that really prevents reintroductions is invasive animals. So I had 10 years working with foxes and wild dogs and feral pigs and all the things that uh, are wrecking our environment. Uh, and that, sorry, I should say, was all in a cooperative research centre environment. So I really fell in love with CRCs and industry-based science. So after I uh, had 10 years with the Invasive Animals CRC, uh, I was looking for another opportunity and picked up a, a role with um, PERSA in South Australia, Primary Industries. Um, and that was uh, part running an agribusiness team, um, but also a business development role uh, within that. And uh, I guess they said, well, what do you know how to do? And one thing I've done a couple of is these big uh, cooperative research centre bids, which, you know, generally involve a lot of participants, you know, $100 to $200 million uh, kind of funding. And uh, so it started on the path of trying to develop a CRC around food industry sustainability. And this was back in uh, about 2013, 14. And uh, what we very quickly realised is that one area where we're just not sustainable is with the amount of food waste we produce in Australia. So started doing some sums around that, and that's where the $20 billion food waste figure came from, um, and that's really an underestimate of what the, the issue is uh, costing us in Australia. Uh, and it started, uh, you know, while I was a bit quiet to begin with in trying to attract attention to this matter, um, it started to gain momentum a few years ago, and that's what led to this bid. So, um, I mean, ultimately, everything I've done is really around sustainability. Uh, but, yeah, I think people sometimes stretch to make that connection between uh, chasing feral animals and, and trying to protect our food. So. Um, can you just give us a very quick little um, summation of, for those who are not aware of what a CRC is? Yes, yeah, certainly. So the CRC program has been going for 30 years now. It was actually a, uh, a program set up by Bob Hawke and the uh, chief scientist at the time, Ralph Slatcher, uh, and it's all about industry-based science. So Australia is very good at producing science and scientific papers, but we're very poor at converting science into economic benefit for industry. In fact, we're one of the worst uh, countries, unfortunately, in the OECD in that conversion. So the CRC program was set up to make sure that we not only do good science, but it makes a, a difference for in our industry and makes an economic difference for our country. And there's been plenty of reviews into the CRC program over the last 30 years, 
and what they've all shown is that the return on investment that uh, the uh, federal government has put into the CRC program has been returned five times over or something like that. But um, the return on investment is very good in industry-based science um, and while not every CRC you know, always achieves what it sets out to do. Um, some have completely over-delivered and many of the everyday products that we can use like disposable contact lenses or, you know, wingtips on the uh, Boeing aircraft and things like that came out of CRCs. So it's, uh, it's science that we use every day. Now, Simon, what about you? How did you, um, how did you end up in the fold? It's probably a good segue from Steve. Um, I came from industry, essentially. So I did my undergraduate in uh, in product design engineering. Through that process, I, I got access to all sorts of different types of roles um, going out into industry. I designed anything from the non-sticks, cellies, um, cap on your cellies, super glue, through to composite materials for aircraft, through to the vacuum cleaners you use uh, when you buy a particular British brand that don't have bags. So I've worked all around the world on all sorts of different types of products. However, I always had that itch after learning about the sustainability conundrum at university about, you know, that itch about where is it? Like, how are we actually addressing that uh, when we're designing products and services and putting them out into the world? And I got an opportunity um, late on in my role at Dyson over in the UK to come back to Australia uh, through the support of, of Professor Ralph Horn and uh, the RMIT research community to come into a research fellowship, really focusing on sustainability uh, in a research centre called the Centre for Design, who are a 25-year-old um, sustainability research centre that had been funded again by federal funding initially and again out of the Hawke government. Uh, and and had developed all sorts of products um, focused on life cycle assessment, the world's best practice, you know, a method to assess whether products and services are actually better for the environment or not. Uh, and through that process, I did a PhD and really, you know, embraced the fact that, you know, academia meant you could work with industry still but go a lot deeper and broader into the problems uh, that we, we need to face, work with you know, multi-industry, government, uh, not-for-profit stakeholders to solve those problems. And you got to talk to the real power brokers, really. You were sitting in the room with the CEO, not with a team of designers. So I started to actually be able to make change uh, through the work that I did with colleagues uh, at RMIT and across different university uh, sectors. So we were doing a lot of work in in the food. Sorry, what was that, Kim? Incredibly rewarding. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it, it was a it was a a big change in in my career, uh, and and I think it, it is incredibly rewarding. Like you said, it's very um, fulfilling. Um, we had been looking at food systems and packaging for a long period of time because they are sort of fairly big zeitgeists in the consumer space. You know, there's a lot of negative press around packaging, but it has a role to um, to actually produce um, you know good environmental outcomes. That sounds like an oxymoron, but it, it does, um, and uh, and so we we felt that there was this big uh, food waste issue that just really wasn't being s- sort of solved or even addressed in a lot of the research we were doing with industry. And around the same time, my colleague, Professor Associate Professor Carly Vergeese, and I got in contact, or Steve got in contact with us whilst he was doing his initial work around uh, food waste and and what we should be doing about it from a national perspective. 
Uh, we just started doing some work with the AFGC and, and some other sort of peak bodies around this issue. And that's really where the momentum started. And, and you know, um, all credit to Steve. He really did herd the cats um, <laughs> sometimes through adversity to get, you know, a national approach and, and real resources behind this. We're talking about $120 million worth of funding, which is the biggest funding structure in the world um, that we're aware of that is has been set up to to attack the food waste problem with industry, government and and non-for-profits and consumers. So the target, the target is to reduce our waste by 50% by 2030. The current levels are staggeringly high, aren't they? Stephen? Yeah, so uh, the Australian government did a baseline audit of what we believe food waste was in 2016-17 and that was published um, uh, in 2019. Uh, and that, uh, and I should say, estimated. Uh, it's an, an order is a snapshot in time at 7.3 million tonnes a year, and uh, on average, that's about a third coming out of primary production, a third food manufacturing distribution, and a third, a bit higher than a third, in um, consumer food waste or household food waste. And and that's a little bit atypical of uh, a developed country where you've probably... I was going to ask, is that, is that how it always is or is that uh, yeah, Australia no, throwing seen, a unique line at it? Yeah, normally you see more in um, in consumer food waste, in household food waste in the developed world. Um, unfortunately, we've lost the appreciation of the value of food in the developed world and it's cheap and, and we readily throw it out. Um, but, you know, Australia is a big primary producer. And so it's not, and a big country to deal with logistics and so on. So it's not that surprising to see higher levels in primary production than some other developed countries and smaller countries. So um, baseline is currently being revisited um, by uh, FIA or Food Innovation Australia, uh, and it's looking like it's actually a bit higher than that, probably closer to 8.3 million tonnes. Um, Great. Just to I think put that's that going in the wrong direction, isn't it? <laughs> it is at the moment, yeah. Um, but to put that into uh, perspective, that would fill the MCG uh, nine times over uh, to the brim, overflowing, um, or you would fill B double trucks from stretching from Perth to Sydney with that same volume of food waste. So, I mean, it's just a, a massive volume. Um, 7.3 million tonnes just doesn't do it justice in terms of what's actually being lost or wasted. So, the, the figure to reduce it by half in that time frame, how, was, how did that come about? What was the process to go, okay, we could actually achieve that? Yeah, so in 2015, they put out the uh, uh, United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And there's 17 goals of which uh, all focus on sustainable development, of course. Um, one of them in particular, goal 12, is uh, responsible uh, production and consumption. Uh, and within that, there's uh, half a dozen or so targets. Uh, and one of them is to reduce food waste. So just, and I should define food loss is up to the consumer and food waste is thereafter. So it was the original target is to reduce food waste by 50% by 2030 and reduce food loss throughout the supply chain, um, but no specific target. The Australian government has, uh, and many other governments around the world, have accepted that target as let's just reduce food loss and waste by 50% by 2030. So that's where the target came from, but certainly we have our work cut out for us uh, in Australia because we've 
accepted that um, you know we need to reduce food waste, food loss, and waste right throughout the supply chain. Can you talk to me about when you're looking at that, and you've just talked about whether it's in the consumer or through the supply chain? I mean, again, I think it ties in to what Simon was saying about wrestling cats because. Does this look at the the whole system from the wheat in the field to it's being picked up from curbside? It does. And certainly we need interventions right along the supply chain to have any chance uh, of meeting this. There's no one silver bullet, and I know we you know, hear that term quite a bit, um, but uh, the, and there's many, many things that we can do um, to address food loss and waste, um, but cooperation uh, is the first and um, hopefully, yeah, we're getting somewhere on that front. Have been in the recent years with the development of the Cooperative Research Centre, and now Stop Food Waste Australia, which involves seventeen partners working together right along the supply chain. Um, but of course, uh, there's always more partners. There's more players um, that we need to get involved in this process to really start winning uh, against that target. Sure. And so, because I know now we have Stop Food Waste Australia, can you tell me the process that of how that's come from the CRC into now Stop Food Waste? They're still two separate things, aren't they? So, the parent organisation or the legal entity of the Cooperative Research Centre is Fight Food Waste Limited. That's who I'm employed by. And the reason we set it up uh, legally that way is that we would like the entity to outlast the CRC funding which finishes in 2028, two years before the current target. Um, and uh, why we have CRC in our name, once we lose CRC funding, generally you, you lose the ability to use that uh, in your name. So we've set it up to out, outlive the current funding cycle. And in fact, Stop Food Waste Australia will um, go on uh, you know, well beyond 2030. So we've got two divisions of the one legal entity. We've got the Cooperative Research Centre, the R&D arm on one side, and that's funded from the Department of Industry, important to recognise. Um, and on the other side, we've got Stop Food Waste Australia, which is funded by the Department of Environment, and that's specifically to deliver the National Food Waste Strategy, which um, you started you know, the story talking about. The great thing is that we've got these two things integrated. Um, we've got some shared services operating in between to minimise our overheads and maximise the amount of funding that we can put on ground. As such. So whether that's you know, developing a voluntary commitment, developing sector action plans, doing the R&D, you know, what we're about is minimising our overheads to make sure we're maximising the impact that we can have as an organisation. Simon, tell me a bit about your role because you're sitting within the CRC, aren't you? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so the majority of my time is focused on, on the research and development arm of the CRC and we're split into three different programs. And those programs are really designed uh, to address um, the various challenges that we face both pre the, the waste actually happening and post us actually having the waste and having to deal with it. The program I'm in is is the reduced program. That's the one I'm, I'm running at the moment in an interim role. That program is really focused on reducing food waste before it happens. So we've got interventions at the moment with prime producers um, looking at what they can do on farm uh, or in the processing or pack shed to reduce the food waste that goes on uh, there. We've got cold chain refrigeration type projects looking at how we can reduce the spoilage that occurs because of our issues with uh, inadequate cold chain supply. 
uh, we've got projects with retailers looking at um, how retail uh, waste could be minimised uh, within the context of the supermarkets or the small shops that we deal with. And then we've got a whole lot of projects around consumers and their perceptions, their behaviours, and how we can intervene again or assist them as well um, by designing better packaging, uh, looking at better communication or advice, and also fitting in with with the diversity of, of hu- your humans on the ground in their homes. You know, the, the fuzziness, the messiness of human behaviour and, and providing all of the tools and the levers for them not to waste food. At the end of the day, it's often, you know, just a simple message, you know, uh, lost food is money or waste of food is money. And that's, that's you know, the, the end of it to try and get someone on board to, to act differently, you know, and the benefits then are also social and environmental often off the back of those interventions. I mean, it would strike me that that behaviour change is is at the core of all of this, regardless of whether you're dealing with, you know, the agricultural community or a consumer or a freight supply chain company, and that the, the message for each of those could be many and varied. Yeah, correct. And and again, that goes probably to the core of another of our programs, uh, which is the Engage program. The Engage program really focuses on how we are communicating, training, intervening with behaviour change, with practice change, which is different to behaviour change. How do we actually change the things around people, the behavioural infrastructure, so they might just change their behaviour anyway? And that's not just consumers, that's also industry. So, you know, how do we actually work with industry or intervene in industry uh, so that uh, their behaviours are also adapt and shift. And th- and often it's not about um, a big stick. It's it's often carrots and and good collaboration and dialogue that, that actually gets us, you know, over the line. Sometimes you do need a big stick, but but uh, it's it's not, you know, I, I think a lot of research has shown that's often not the way to, to get these things done. But that said, we're talking about human systems and human perceptions, um, all of those different worldviews and, and experiences that you have to take into account when you, you need to shift the human systems. Are you getting much pushback from some groups or some parts of that of the supply line? Not not that we've experienced so far. I think um, I think one of the challenges we've got is the food system is so diverse with so many different stakeholders and players. There are there are some sectors that haven't come on board at this point in time. Um, but but I think what we're starting to see after two years of results with our initial projects that we're getting a lot of those you know, those industries in particular on board to to start looking at projects where they could be intervening in in their particular food sector. You know, the red meat sector is different to the dairy sector, is different to even just a particular type of fruit. So, um, yeah, I think it's not so much pushback. It's more about, I think, getting all of the players on board and the stakeholders involved uh, is is a big challenge, which I think Steve is, is well-placed to talk about as the chief... <laughs> cat herder in the, in, the, in the process. So I'll throw to him as well to have a comment on that. Yeah, it's certainly on the consumer or the household food waste front. We've done some benchmarking around um, household you know, attitudes towards food waste uh, just uh, last year and the year before. It's an ongoing large-scale project, but it really is something that nearly everyone is supportive of. You know, you've got about a 90% support rate of people that say, yes, I definitely want to reduce my food waste or I'm interested in learning more about, you know, reducing my food waste. There's very few that turn around and say, no, just not interested, not my thing, don't care. So, you know, in terms of 
something that the public's on side with. Food waste is, you know, a hot topic at the moment. It wasn't a few years ago, I can tell you that, but it certainly is now. People want to know more. And a great example of that is um, last year during COVID lockdowns and so on, uh, people wanted to avoid the supermarkets. So they realised the way of doing that is making more from the food you've got. And so visits to our website, to websites such as Love Food, Hate Waste, which a number of our partners run, um, increased massively. Um, you know, we ran a social media campaign last year called Fight Food Waste, It's Easy As. Uh, reached 400, sorry, four and a half million people uh, in only a couple of months. And uh, the hit rates and everything like that were well above industry standards because people want to know how to reduce their food waste. They just... You know, looking for those simple hints. And most of the time, that's what it is. It's just simple hints to help people make more of what they're already buying. And as Simon said, if they're not doing that, they're probably losing money out of it. But interestingly, money's not always the driver when you're in a dual income, high income, you know, family with lots of kids and things like that. Um, but uh, yeah, there, there's so many simple ways that we can reduce food waste and, and the public really is on side. So tell me about Stop Food Waste Australia, which was launched just earlier this year, like at the beginning of the year. So can you sort of fill me in about what that is and how it's travelling? Sure. So uh, as I mentioned before, this is something that's funded through the Department of Environment. So Department of Environment's got carriage of the National Food Waste Strategy. Um, For the last couple of years, uh, they put out some funding to create a roadmap Um, of how we could reduce our food waste by half by 2030. And that was delivered by FIO, uh, Food Innovation Australia. And so we're now really going into the next phase. We've got 10 years to meet this target of uh, halving food waste, Um, which sounds like a lot, but I can tell you it's not. Um, For countries like uh, the UK, uh, the Netherlands, and they're really the two leading countries in this area worldwide, They've achieved about 27, 28% reduction in food waste, but they've been doing this for 15 years. So, you know, for us to achieve a 50% reduction um, is going to require a massive effort. And certainly I think, you know, what we're trying to do in Australia now is is world leading in many ways in, in terms of the resources we're putting into it, which is great, but we've got a long way to catch up. And, you know, we certainly learn a lot from uh, the UK uh, and um, the Netherlands and what they've been doing. But one thing to touch on is that we we don't have a national behaviour change campaign here. So you were talking, uh, we were talking about this before, um, we've got some different state programs and things like that, but what we need is a national campaign so we can try and start changing social norms. You know, what we want to do is make food waste as unacceptable as littering. So we remember the programs around, you know, uh, Keep Australia Beautiful and so on. Keys uh, in South Australia have been doing a fantastic job. Uh, you know, Clean Up Australia Day um, in Kieran. So, you know, they resonate with us. People got behind it and has made a huge difference. People have changed their behaviour. You don't see people throwing litter out of the window like you did when I was growing up as a kid. Um, same with skin cancer. You know, a lot has been done around ch- changing social norms around skin cancer and preventing skin cancer. Slip, slop, slap. You know, great program, massive impact. That's what we need to do with food waste. So it really is front of centre. And so if people do go to throw out food, they think twice. And it's only once that ha- is happening, then you can start you know, being able to achieve these massive targets like 50% food waste reduction. 
And so, I mean, obviously that's the sort of consumer component. Do you think that that then plays a part, I guess, similar to now how we're seeing consumers looking to food producers or food manufacturers saying, well, where have your ingredients come from and how is this made and how good is it for my body, um, that they'll start perhaps applying the same pressure to businesses about, well, how much water did you use to make this? But then also what was, you know, what was the wastage of the, of the ingredients? How much was lost and, and add that to their determinant as to whether they're going to buy a product or not. Do you think that's going to start playing a part? Because I'd really like to look at what you've found in terms of attitudes or um, the situation within the food and beverage manufacturing sector and what they're saying to you about the challenges in stepping up or changing, you know, their processes to reduce waste. Yeah, look, there's um, a number of companies um, that, uh, you know, part of your organisation that have made some very strong commitments in this space. Woolworths, for example, uh, zero food waste to landfill by 2025. You know, the likes of uh, Nestle's and Unilever's have made strong commitments in these areas. One thing that we're doing under Stop Food Waste Australia, um, and I probably uh, didn't quite cover this before when you asked this question, was around developing a voluntary commitment process. Um, And that recognises what companies are already doing or what new commitments companies can make to reducing their food waste. And there is a big market in this area. Recently, the Upcycled Food Association was created in America. It's all about taking ingredients that would have otherwise been wasted and turning them into innovative foods. That's a huge growing area at the moment. It's predicted to have something like a 10% um, growth rate in the coming years, year on year. Um, and we know people are looking for these fully circular products where they know, you know, that it's, uh, you know, sustainable, um, it's got a good story to it. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly it's happening in New Zealand, it's happening here, it's happening in America. People are seeking out these products and the surveys that have been done indicate that, you know, they're generally willing to pay a bit more for these products, even though they're, and I shouldn't say it, but they're from waste, you know, really waste is just a resource um, and uh, that's what we're trying to do is identify how we can best use those resources. Um, Simon, I think uh, you had something to add to that as well. Yeah, and look, there's a number of projects already underway, Kim, where we're actually measuring uh, what's going on in industry in regards to food, packaging, the delivery of the food into the home versus what perceptions exist for you know, consumers across Australia in regards to what they're looking for, what's the confusion around how they're supposed to actually deal with the food that's provided to them in the particular packaging they get or the formats that they're provided uh, or what they actually want, you know, in regards to the company performance or behaviour on sustainability issues. And, you know, this is these are issues that have really gained a lot of national prominence just through the zeitgeist of Craig Rucastle's War on Waste, right, um, on the ABC. It really, that really did light a fire under consumer perceptions and push back on companies that just think a linear economy is the way it's going to be forever. Circular business models, circular economies um, where products become more circular and go back into the system once we've, we haven't used them uh, are going to be the future. And they already are here now. It's just that we have to ramp that up uh, and consumers are wanting those kind of products. So, um, and, and the evidence in the CRC reports have been produced already 
are already demonstrating that. Um, that's that's definitely a front of mind issue that consumers have. Uh, but many companies have already moved, or they're doing they're doing really good things uh, in regards to you know strategies they're providing to consumers. But consumers aren't necessarily actually aware of those those you know features on packaging or guidance on how to store something or or the like. And, and I think a lot of the projects in the in the um, consumer industry interaction, I suppose you could call it, um, that we need to start to bring to the fore are, are the collaboration or the co-design between consumers and, and companies, so that everyone understands what they need to do to get this done. And then it's it's being it's being consolidated by a national behaviour change campaign <laughs> uh, that Steve um, suggested before. So um, definitely the seeds are there for some really great outcomes, both for consumers and industry. There is definitely a want from both sides to do the right thing, but I think some, some of the dots just need to be joined and that's that's really the role of the CRC and Stop Food Waste Australia to, to really try and enable that to happen. So if you're a food manufacturer and they wanted to and they wanted to reduce the amount of food waste that they're creating in their processes are there sort of r&d funding opportunities within that they can get with you guys or like how is it just a discussion or can they run a can they run a trial project does it matter how big they are what's the sort of are there opportunities in that space yeah, certainly. Um, so we've got two main funding streams through um, the Cooperative Research Centre, and then there's uh, other funding arrangements through Stop Food Waste Australia. So just in terms of the CRC, if you're looking at a project uh, under uh, fifty thousand uh, or hundred thousand in cash total. We've got the SME, or um, Small to Medium Size Enterprise Solution Centre, where we do rapid innovation projects. Um, the really novel uh, approach we take in the SME Centre is that we do the homework for the small company. So we have 11 research providers around uh, Australia uh, and lots of overseas input as well. If someone comes to us with a, you know, I've got X tonne of uh, waste stream that's being created uh, throughout the year, then we can work out what the best thing to do with it is and that company can get a range of options um, from different research providers and they choose which one they want to go with um, rather than having to do the homework themselves. For larger projects, uh, we've uh, got the, the normal CRC funding. There's still around four to five million in new leverage that we can put into projects. So generally any industry partner coming in, we will match what they put in dollar for dollar. They can claim the R&D tax incentive on that. Um, and then they get lots of other benefits like in-kind support from our research providers, you know, participation in annual conferences and networking and a whole bunch of other benefits. Um, they're all outlined in our value proposition, which is on our website. Um, and that way, you know, well, that kind of 100,000 plus project is for two to three year projects. Um, on the Stop Food Waste Australia side, uh, there's two key uh, options there. One is around becoming involved in the voluntary commitment pro, uh, program, and that'll be launched in the next couple of months. Um, it's only, you know, the organisation that or the entity as such has only created last month in start January. <laughs> um, so I uh, just need a couple, yeah, a couple more months to get the uh, fine print together. But um, uh, what we're copying there, what we're replicating is something called the Coulthard Agreement out of the UK, uh, out of an organisation called RAP. And in, f in fact, we're bringing a couple of the RAP people into Australia to help run that process. 
um, and uh, you know they have so much experience. Um, so industry only needs to see the benefits that have been gained from the Coulthard Agreement in the UK to work out whether it's for them or not. Um, we're also developing sector action plans, uh, and these are looking at all the different things that um, can help reduce food loss and waste in a sector. Uh, for example, I uh, presented to the um, Produce Marketing Association this morning, PMA, um, and we'd love to develop a sector action plan for the horticulture sector because we know the food loss and waste is highest in the horticulture sector of any other, um, and um, so that should be a target for a sector action plan. That's really about bringing all the key players together, not necessarily co-investing, but key players together to work out how are we as a sector going to address this problem because we know that's what consumers are wanting. So there's lots of different options about getting involved um, and, uh, you know, all, all of these are outlined on our website. We're just establishing a new Get Involved page on our website and so I you know, it's, uh, suggest people go to that. Um, if uh, they are interested, it's just fightfoodwastecrc.com.au um, and that also gives you links to the Stop Food Waste Australia website as well. Yeah, and, and the projects range um, through three different types of programs. Um, our program, which is all about reducing food waste, we've talked about. We've talked about the Engage program where it's all about training, communication and behaviour change type activities. One we haven't really touched on is the Transform program, which is pretty pertinent, I think, to the food and drink business uh, where you have waste that you can't do anything with. The CRC is committed to transforming waste that was destined for human consumption that didn't necessarily get there. So it ended up in animal feed or, or landfill or other destinations that weren't uh, you know, necessarily desirable. But there's a commitment to transform our waste into higher value outcomes, whether that's a food outcome to feed people in need or high-value products in new markets or the food markets that they already operate in. Uh, so, you know, I suppose the nuance in terms of the types of interactions you can have with the Fight Food Waste CRC in terms of R&D range from re reduction through to engagement and also in transformation projects too. It's quite the undertaking. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yeah, the great thing is that we are becoming integrated. Um, you know, we're trying to bring all the different parts of the solution together in the one entity in Fire Food Waste Limited. So whether it's the R&D, whether it's the on-ground efforts, whether it's the policy interventions, all under the, the one banner. And that's the only way to really make this work. It's what's been the, the secret of success in places like the UK where they've got organisations like RAP, which are just dedicated to, you know, reducing food waste and creating the circular economy. Stephen, what's your ultimate goal? Like what, what's the one thing in, in, in all of this that you're like, if we get that, if we achieve that, and beyond obviously the ultimate target, like is there something else within that we're looking at over the next 10 years that you're just like, oh, if we nail that, that's a good thing? Yeah, I mean, the ultimate target leads everything I do. I mean, in trying to achieve 50% food waste reduction by 2030, we've certainly got uh, our work cut out for us, but everything we do as an organisation kind of starts at the end point and works its way, its way back from that. We have an impact tool which monitors our performance, you know, on a yearly basis, how we're tracking against that target. Um, and, yeah, personally, if, if we achieve that target in 2030, then I think it's time for me to retire um, I've done my job. Um, 
But uh, honestly, that, that is what gets me out of bed in the morning. Uh, I love a challenge. That's a big one, something that I think we can achieve. Uh, I wouldn't be here if I didn't think we could do it, but it is going to take a massive effort. And uh, we we haven't given ourselves a lot of extra time, to be honest. Yeah, as I said, some uh, other countries have been really pushing hard on this for 10, 15 years. Um, uh, why we can learn a lot from them, we still need to implement here. And um, yeah, we, we don't... Yeah, and we don't have all the pieces of the puzzle together yet. We've got some of the key ones, but things like, you know, the need for a national behaviour change campaign, our slip-slop-slap of food waste is, uh, you know, one of the things that we still need to get into place um, to really finish the puzzle and then deliver it um, and hit that target. What about you, Simon? It's a big question. Um, I'm glad Steve addressed the the sort of the the headliner. That's good (laughs) because, I mean, I've... Obviously, my interaction with the CRZ, the ultimate goal of the CRZ is is my goal in interacting with it. So that's fine. Um, From a personal perspective, you know, I've always, you know, been drawn to innovation, you know, through anything I've done. It's It's what took me over the UK to work for someone like Dyson or, you know, work with really interesting partners in Australia across different types of sectors when I've designed and engineered stuff in different roles. And this... This CRC structure really provides me and my teams um, every day the opportunity to interact, collaborate and innovate with industry players, government players, food charities and non-for-profits. Uh, and if we can move the food industry to a place in by 2030 where they are humming so efficiently um, through innovation collaboration it'll be time for me to move on to something else as well, probably not the food industry. Um, I think the food industry has been really good at innovating. There's no doubt about that. But I think the collaboration piece, the transformation of collaboration I've seen just in the last five years of working in the food industry, not not in the CRC, I mean on other projects at RMIT, has been immense. They have started to collaborate so much more. And I think that's a really key piece of how we're going to innovate is to collaborate. And they often go hand in hand. So for me, I'm just excited that that's actually starting to happen and makes me want to stay and play. (laughs) Well, it's always quite a challenge, I mean, in any industry, I guess, but food and beverage guard their IP very, very closely. And so opening up doors to to others to show processes or um, systems, that can be, (laughs) that's an achievement in and of itself. So um, it is really exciting to hear you say that that's, you're starting to see that happen much more and with great effect. Yeah, and look, I've, I've worked in environments like that. I mean, think of Dyson. I mean, I was working with patent attorneys probably every second day. But, yeah, the food industry is very similar. There's there's trade secrets. You know, I get that. And and we all know there's competitive advantage and that, that's, that drives, you know, a capitalist-type environment um, competition. So... That's all f- well and good, but uh, there are there are other ways you can link up to collaborate without giving away your trade secrets and and your you know your your competitive advantage. In fact, the sharing bit might create the competitive advantage you know that gets you so much further than what you thought you had by protecting something. So yeah, it, it often is a chicken and egg or or almost a you know, paradoxical situation to the norm for the food industry in this in this regard. Uh, One final thing I just wanted to revisit. With the voluntary agreement, I mean, there would be some people who would would argue that that's, you know, that's all very nice, but the only way you really garner change is if you, you know, legislate it or make it 
make it a mandatory act or um, process. So talk to me about why a voluntary agreement and, and I guess why you're confident that that will manufacture that change, that the companies who, volunt- who will actually agree to it and, and do what they say they're going to do when it's only voluntary. Yeah, look, I think that's an important point to recognise, um, Kim. We don't have any sticks as such, uh, as uh, you know, Simon was talking about before. Voluntary agreements are all around carrots. Um, you know, what can entice a company into doing more here? We know consumers driving this, uh, you know, companies to be more sustainable at the moment. They're looking uh, for that in what they buy. Many companies are already moving in this area and uh, some of the big multinationals have made very strong commitments overseas uh, and seen what that has delivered for their bottom line. And so if we look at economic studies in the area of addressing food waste, the main one done by a group called Champions 12.3, which is actually a group of food industry leaders from around the world, uh, showed that for every dollar they tend to put into food waste reduction initiatives, there's a 14 or $14 return, so a return on investment of 14 to 1. So, you know, that makes good business sense. If you can then uh, put that into practice and get some credit for it in terms of a voluntary commitment process because, hey, I'm already doing this, let's get recognised for it, then it just makes sense to, to sign up to something like that. For some companies, they might be keen to do more. They can see that this is the way the industry is going, but they just may not know where to start. And that's what we can help them with, the whole process of, all right, let's look at your uh, production systems, let's look, let's look at your supply chains. How can we address food loss and waste uh, throughout them and then um, and work with them on setting some targets, making sure we're monitoring um, and then make sure that they get the credit for it uh, when they achieve those targets. So the mandatory is Target Measure Act. It's a you know, program that's going on around the world at the moment. Um, and uh, what we've seen is that uh, if we look to America, for example, they set up an initiative based on that called 10 20, 30. So get the 10 leading food companies in the world to work with 20 of their suppliers to halve food waste by 2030. And what they saw is just in the last 12 months, uh, so they got their 10 leading companies, but 200 additional companies have since signed up to that process, and that's basically a voluntary commitment process as well. So there is no shortage of interest in committing uh, to uh, reducing food waste if it makes economic sense. So I think in the past, you know, the, the food and beverage industry really saw food waste as a cost of doing business, and what we're here to do is work out what the opportunity is in reducing that. That really is the voluntary commitment process. That's fantastic. That seems like a good place to uh, put a line under it and say uh, thank you, Dr. Simon Lockery and Dr. Stephen Lappage for joining us today. It's um, been really fascinating and very, um, I don't know, it's really encouraging, isn't it? It's really nice seeing seeing good good things happening and industry getting on board. It's, um, yeah, I, I think if, if anything's going to put a kick in your step, that'll do it. So, thank you both for joining us today. How was that, Grant? Did you find, did you learn a lot? <laughs> oh, I certainly did. Um, there's a lot to be done in the next 10 years, but it's great to see that we're getting some runs on the board and getting the initial initial uh, entries happening. Um, I, if I throw to a game I almost never watch, but uh, Test Match Cricket, uh, if, it's, if it's a long solid game then the first few days can be kind of well first few hours can be kind of boring but then suddenly it gets frantic towards the end so uh, 
yeah, as you can tell, I hardly ever watch it. But uh, <laughs> uh, thank you very much, folks, for coming on. Ladies and gentlemen, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. There's lots to think about and lots we can do as consumers, business owners, all of the range. And uh, I, I am very much looking forward to watching what happens over the next couple of years, let alone the uh, 10 as we race our way towards 2030. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in uh, not too long a time for the next episode of the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Thanks, folks. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.